of God tells us, no, that, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there be not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked Him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was He angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom? Did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. When we started this series on Hebrews, this series that we call Anchored in Christ, and we explained to you that this was preached. No? They, they, the, the first listeners of this was a group of Christians that were in a very, very difficult time of their lives. That they were thinking that they were having a, this crisis of faith. They were thinking of go, giving up or going back to their old ways, to their old lives. To stop following Christ. Was it worth it? Is God really here? Is He able to save us? And all those questions because of how difficult life had become because they were followers of Jesus Christ. And we told you that this wonderful pastor, this preacher that gave them this written sermon for them to be read, started with the glory of Christ, started with the reality that God speaks, that how, how wonderful, how, how trustworthy He is. And now we see it again in the beginning of our text, that he says here, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, the reality for us today is that God is still speaking to you and me. He's speaking to you and me. Today, if you hear His voice, that's how our, our passage starts today. I want you to, to ask yourself this question. If the truth is this, that God is still speaking to you and me, how is He speaking to you right now? Every day of your life, God is speaking. And we see, no? Now, God has now been speaking in many times in many ways. We explained that to you. He, this is, God doesn't only speak to us one time. 
He speaks to us in different occasions, in different scenarios, and in different ways. He speaks to us through, ultimately now, Jesus Christ. But we also know that He speaks to us through other people. He speaks to us through circumstances, whether good or bad. And now, for this morning, as you're going to listen to this word, may I offer you one another aspect of how God speaks to us. God speaks to us through warnings as well. Through the negative or bad examples of sin in the lives of people, He speaks to, to us in those areas as well. So right now, this passage will show us a negative example that with it is a warning. And let me show you the value of the warning in the Bible. Why does God give you a warning? Because right now, in today's culture, our world will tell you that if you give them warnings, many will interpret warnings as a threat to them. Are you threatening me? If you say, Bantay ka lang, or uh, you're warning them of some danger, you're warning them of God's truth, you're warning them of God's word and what this has to say. They will say, are you threatening me? Are you telling me that God is a God who threatens? Are you telling me that God is not loving because He, he gives us threats and warnings? They will lump together that anyone who gives them warnings, anyone who tells them not to do this or that they're wrong is, is something that is offensive that's part of really still it boils down to what God is warning us about in this passage the reality here is that we see that warnings are valuable warnings are from the Lord who is a God of love and he is loving still he is the God of grace and it is his grace still that gives this warnings Let's say, for example, that you see this, this warning on the beach. That the warning on the beach is, is telling you, beware of taking a swim in these in this waters because the current is strong. If you go inside the water, it doesn't matter how strong you are, you think you are of a swimmer, you, you're going to drown. And so, what is now the value of the warning here? The, the warning is, is meant not to rob you of your of joy that you want to enjoy swimming, right? The pleasure that you want to have the, the fun, the, the, the happiest day of your life to swim the whole day in the beach is not to rob you, but to keep you alive, to give you life. The value of the warning here is that it is of a loving concern. It is something that would preserve your life. Now to dismiss, therefore, this warning... An example here is if I, will, if I will say to myself, well, I'm a strong swimmer. This, doesn't, this warning doesn't apply to me. And so I will swim. I will dismiss this warning at my own peril. I will dismiss this warning and, and, and now put myself in a dangerous situation. So you see, it is the same. That the warnings in the Bible... They are not meant to rob you or it is not from the, an unloving God, a God who is vicious, that, does, that 
doesn't want you to enjoy life. He, he wants you to have life and life in abundance. He wants you to live. It is still an act of grace and love from the Lord that the warnings in the Bible are there. They are meant for us to listen that this serious matters of sin, the direction of our lives, what we're doing, what we think we know, what we think we're believing in, if we don't give heed, attention to these warnings, we might be on a, on a direction of our lives headed towards destruction. If we dismiss the warnings in the Bible, we dismiss it at our own peril. Because the warnings of God are meant to turn men from their sins. Because of the coming reality that God is true and there's a coming wrath, His wrath against sinners. So what is the warning here in, the, in our passage? It is found in verse 12. And it says, Take care, brethren, that there be not, not be in any one of you an unequal an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now notice that really, who is this warning addressed to? This warning is addressed to the brethren. If you call yourself a believer of Jesus Christ, we are part of the family of Jesus Christ. We are part of the brethren. This warning, my dear brethren, is not addressed to people who don't believe, who people who say they don't believe, who are clear about it. See, this is not for unbelievers, the warning. The, this warning is for those who say they are believers. And so for us to say, well, that warning is not for me. It's not applicable for me because I'm secure in my faith. Uh, I don't think this warning is relevant for me at all. I would plead with you not to dismiss the warning lightly. This warning is for those who are in the church. And it's always a mixed bag, isn't it? Jesus tells us that in the church, there will be true disciples of Jesus and, and false disciples of Jesus. There will be, in his parable, some weeds along with the wheat. There will be those who are the good fish and the bad fish caught in the net. There will be those whose hearts have received the word of God, but then there would be the four different types of soil and how they would respond to the word of God. And so, but they're all part of the, this brethren. First John will tell us that there would be people that would not keep on believing and they would go out from us. And First John will tell us that because in reality, they were not really part of our brothers and sisters. They were not really brothers and sisters. And so, there's always a mixed bag here. But I also tell you that even if we are, you are a true believer, this warning should not also be dismissed as lightly. Now, what is the warning for us then? If, if this warning is for those who are in the church, this warning is... is telling us that we should be careful that there might be an evil, unbelieving heart that creeps, that our heart would become. 
See, it, would, it warns us of the, of the state of our heart. And the heart is the center of our being. It's, it's the, the, the sense of what we really believe in. Do you really, if you have an evil, unbelieving heart, the result of that is that it will fall away from the living God. It will drift away. It will go away. It will stop following and believing Him. And we are supposed to be careful of that because yes, the reality of it is this. You could stay in the church. You could keep on attending the gatherings. You could say you are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you dismiss this warning, you could say that you're following Jesus Christ and yet already have in the reality still an, an evil, unbelieving heart that keeps on falling away from the living God. Serious warning here. And we see that in verse 19, we see that this warning resulted on a generation of people that were called out by God, that tasted the goodness of God. It resulted in them not being able to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. In other words, they were not able to enter what God has, or receive what God had promised them because their evil hearts were exposed. They were unbelievers. They didn't really believe. Jesus warns this as well during his earthly ministries. He tells us in Matthew 7 that in the last days, people will tell him, Lord, Lord, let us in into heaven, your promised rest. And he will tell you, go away from me, depart from me, you who are doers of lawlessness, you who have this evil, unbelieving heart. So this, this warning is real. It's not to be dismissed lightly. And it's something that we should really examine. You see, unbelief, what is the sin of unbelief? The sin of unbelief is a, a display of a lack of faith. And I was talking to someone said that this lack of faith might, might make you think, oh, I need more faith, no? I need to have more faith today because I have little faith. No, this is not about having little faith because you can have a, a faith as little as a mustard seed and God will bless that. God will receive that as true, authentic faith. No, this is not about the quantity of your faith. This is about the, the, the authenticity of your faith. That unbelief is therefore this lack of faith that you don't really trust in God, that you don't really believe in His character, because it will keep on resulting in your lives disobedience and rebellion. Let's see in, in what this sermon, this written sermon, how he explains to us what this would look like. So the title of this message will be this. It's warning. God's warning is this, that unbelief is dangerous to your eternal life. 
See, there's that reality, no? That there was this uh, slogan or no government ad to preserve the lives of his their citizens. That several decades ago they they started having this law that whatever this we sell a pack of cigarettes, there should be this warning, this government warning that says, right? The govern, government warning. If you buy this pack of cigarettes and if you smoke cigarettes, it is dangerous to your health. And this, evident, this warning is evidently backed with truth. This, this evidence or this warning is backed with evidence of clinical studies that proves that smoking can lead to cancer. But here's the reality. People still buy the droves disregard the warning, even if there is the truth already established. Now, I'm going to add that to that. Even with the government warning, even with the, the fact already that it is, in fact, dangerous and it could kill you, and now your loved ones I add to your love, no? love, loved ones what will say, a mom or a dad, a, a, a spouse or a child will say, please stop, right? Please stop. It, it's dangerous. We love you. Don't do that. And you know what? The person who has seen and heard and would agree in his head that it is true, he said, yeah, it could lead to cancer. It could be, it could be the death of me. And he would have received the love and grace of his family and would say, hey, you know what? He wouldn't stay. I'm still going to smoke anyways. And that is exactly a picture right now of what's going to happen in this story. In this, ex in this negative example of faithlessness that the Hebrew uh, preacher is going to give us. And his point is this, that yes, you could know that Christ is real. You could know the value of Christ and understand it. You could have received the grace and love of, his, of, of the blessings that He has given you. you. You would have experienced initially all of this. And yet, you would still say in your heart, I am still going to keep on disobeying and rebelling against God. Why? Why? Would a person do that? Unbelief. At the bottom line, God would look at that and say, you didn't really believe in me. You didn't really trust me because you did not obey and, and live out and listen to my word. So here's the warning. That unbelief, this kind of unbelief, a disregard to the, to the trust and obedience of Jesus Christ that leads to disobedience and rebelliousness is dangerous to your eternal life. How does the, 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 this writer support his warning? He gives us a, an example in the story of Israel during the Exodus. There's a very, very important lessons to be learned about the story of Exodus. I love Hebrews, and we love Hebrews, uh, when the pastoral team and I were, were contemplating and praying on whether to preach to you the series of Hebrews, is because we love it because it's one of the books in the New Testament that really points us so much to the Old Testament. You see, 
one of the realities of our saving salvation right now in Jesus Christ is what happened in the story of Exodus. Let me give you a, 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 a tour, if I may say so. In Luke chapter 9, Christ's death on the cross is described as a de departure. And Exodus is a departure. This is the meaning of the word. It's, it's exiting. It's departing. And the death of Christ is, a, is called an exodus. God links what happened in Exodus to a, our reality, spiritual reality in our lives today. In Acts 7.38, Israel, when they were saved by God from the slavery of Egypt and promised to be taken to the promised land, the Israel congregation, one million of them, they were called the ecclesia, the assembly in the wilderness. You know the word ecclesia is the word we use right now as the church? We are the assembly. We are the called out ones. And so the link there is that you have a, an assembly, someone who were called out by God from slavery to a promised rest. And right now, we who were once slaves to sin are called out and given this promise of eternal rest in Christ. There's a link. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul would tell us that Jesus is the true Passover. And in the story of Exodus, there, the, the story of Passover was that they had to kill this unblemished lamb and the blood use it to paint their, their doorpost so that the angel of death will walk past them and they will not face the judgment of God and they would not have the death in their family. So we have, and it's fully explained in Corinthians, that Jesus is the true Passover. He is the reason that God would pass over our sins, that He would not judge us anymore, that we would not face His wrath anymore because He was the perfect sacrifice, the one true propitiation that would satisfy the wrath of God. And in 1 Corinthians 10, there's a wonderful explanation here about Exodus. And in verse 6, it tells us that the story of Exodus, their, their positive examples and their, the sins that happened along the way and the judgment of God on this generation. All these things happened to become an example for us, to tell us, to warn us that if we would do the same, if we would follow the same pattern of their lives, if we follow their behavior, if we keep on, if we would believe like they did, we would see the consequences already. So we have an example. And talking about examples, uh, last week was all about the positive examples. Marvin Joe told us that Jesus Christ is a supreme example of faithfulness. And he tells us as well of Moses. And, and Marvin Joe was telling now that, hey, who gets greater glory? The one who built the house or the one who owned the house. And here's the thing, no? That the greatest example that the writer could think about, that their, their, his audience could relate to, was Moses. Moses was the greatest prophet. Moses was something that they all looked up to. And this preacher 
tells us, you know what? Someone is greater than the greatest here. There's Jesus Christ who is greater than the greatest positive example of faithfulness that we have. And now, He gives us a negative example of a story of faithlessness that happened during Moses' time in Israel on their way to the Promised Land. And these things happened so that they would become a warning, an example for us. Hebrews 3, 7-11 is actually a direct quote from Psalm 95, 7-11. And he refers to us, it starts now, in, uh, I'll, tell, I'll lead to us to in verse 8. It says, Do not harden your hearts, as when they provoke me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. And in the Psalms, the, the word that the Hebrew writer used to be to say provoked, Psalm says that what happened in Meribah, at Meribah. And Meribah is a place. So Meribah, what happened at Meribah was provoking God. And now, the second thing that happened in the second place is Masa. Sorry, in the, uh, the time, at that time. The day at Masa. And the Hebrew writer says that this day is considered a day of trial in the wilderness. So you have the two things, no? Meribah and Masa. Meribah is provoking God. Masa is a day of trial. What happened at Meribah at the day of Masa? It's the story of Exodus 17, 1 to 7. So Hebrews 3, 8 to 10 will now show us, and there's this wonderful thing, no? That really the reality that this people were so familiar with the scripture that the, the author is re making references after references and they got it. They, they understood because they knew scripture. This people that is addressing as brethren knew their Bibles, knew their scriptures. And yet, the reality is, that, is, is this. They were really discouraged still. They needed the encouragement. And now, this faithful pastor is encouraging them in the Word of God, making them look back in, in what happened in Exodus. Exodus 17 is a story after they have crossed the Red Sea. That means they have been delivered already from Egypt. And you could imagine, no? before they were de delivered from Egypt, they saw for themselves firsthand miracles after miracles. God showing His might and power to them. And finally, keeping His promise to free them from slavery. These people saw that. They received the grace of God. They witnessed the power of God. And now they're with Moses, one million of them, with their family, and they're, all the wealth of Egypt they could plunder, and they're headed towards the promised land. And now, just imagine they reach this Red Sea, and again, the impossible task of God saving them once more from the armies of Egypt and dividing 
this great body of water so that they could cross safely? Wow, you, you could say, no, if I was part of that generation, I'd believe God forever. But here then is the sad reality. They didn't. The story in Exodus 17 is the reason why they could not enter the promised land. Exodus 17 starts with when they left the desert and moved from one place to another as the Lord had told them to. So you really see that this, there was this initial declaration of faith. You really see that this people displayed an initial faith. But this initial faith didn't last. And a faith that doesn't last is no good. In our Filipino culture, we have this, what we, this trait, this negative trait that we call lingas kugun. May lang sa sugdanan. No? We're, good at, we're great at starting things. And I, I know I have a friend who is a fitness coach. He tells me, you know what, Dave? The, the peak season for our gym it happens at uh, January, at the start of the year. And... Uh, but then, because you, you, you have so many people who's making promises, who's saying, oh, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to exercise. And then, you know what? The lean season happens uh, starting from mid-year until December. December is really the lowest. And you see you know, that having that kind of, you know, I want to get fit, but it's only good for the beginning, it doesn't last, it's good for nothing. It'll avail you nothing. And now, faith is the same. Faith is no good if it's just in the beginning, if it's just a thing of the past, but has nothing to do with your present anymore. So these Israelites, the, these Israelites who received the grace of God, who have declared, oh, we believe God, we trust God, we're following God, they're on fire, they're following, and they're so happy, they had this at the beginning as well. But that... Still, remember, these are the people that were still judged by God that would not enter His promised rest. The second thing that we can see on how unbelief looks like is not, it, is the, it, it will show itself when it is tested. You see, the nature of faith is that it will be revealed when it is tested. If you would go through a testing, a trial, a temptation, what happens if you're offended? What happens if you are faced with the reality that you would lose money? What is the, reality, the, 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 the temptation that there's a, this reality that, oh, I could get rich in this way, but it would have to mean sinning. All these things. I could gain pleasure, right? Just by enjoying sex now without having marriage. And all these temptations after temptations, whether it is for pleasure, it is for greed to get rich, it is for health so that I would be, be able to live and all these things. Whenever I'm tested and having problems, how do I try to solve it? The nature of faith is revealed when we're tested. How were the Israelites tested? Well, we see right away in verse 1 
that they were, they arrived at a place that God had told them to go. And it was a place that had no water to drink. This was a test. God could lead us to, to situations in life that are very disadvantageous for us that we might think we're not going to survive anymore. But we have to think about it. How do you respond during these times? Israel, during the time of Exodus, their faith, their initial faith was exposed when they were tested, when there was no drink. And what did they do? Verse 2. Therefore, the people found fault with Moses and said, give us water to drink. You know, one of the evidences, proof of unbelief in your heart, that your heart is leaning towards becoming an evil, unbelieving heart, is when you start to point at fingers at other people and blame God for your state, for your circumstances, for what you are right now. You'd hear this in the church. They'll say, I don't get fed anymore. I, I'm not being fed. There's, there's, there, I'm not really growing in this church. Let me ask you, dear friend that says that, is the church preaching the Word of God? Is it being faithful to the Word? Because if it is, then you go back to the principle of the sower, that the Word... It's not a problem. It is the heart that receives it that is a problem. What happened here in the story? They complained and they shifted the blame to God and His messengers. They put the blame on Moses and found fault with him and said, hey, you're the one who got us out of Egypt. You're the one who convinced us to follow you. You're the one who told us that God has a promised rest. But all we are experiencing is problems left and right. Right now, we don't have water. It's your fault. You should give me water. Think about it. They're complaining to Moses, who is the messenger of God. But how does Moses relate it to what they're actually doing? Moses tells them, why do you quarrel with me? But he doesn't stay with him. He's saying, why do you test the Lord? Do you, make, do you realize that God could use anyone, even a donkey, to speak his word to you? If what is being said by this messenger, by this messenger of the Lord, is from the word of God, if you reject his word, you reject. The Lord. That's the principle of the Bible. That's the principle of your Lord. Because He speaks to us through messengers. He speaks to us primarily through His Word. And He speaks to us through using messengers. By rejecting the messengers that has His Word, we are rejecting His Word. We are rejecting God. But what do we do with this unbelieving heart? One of the, the ways that we could picture it is this. Why would you not listen? Well, we have reasons, right? You shift the blame. I don't like him. By now giving your reason not to listen to the word of God because the messenger is someone you don't like, 
someone you don't respect, someone that you think is beneath you or below you, then guess what? That is coming not from the likable character of the messenger, but it's coming, the rejection is coming from your unbelieving heart. You don't believe in God, therefore you're not listening. You don't want to listen because you are trapped or you're enticed by something that is evil. So what happens here is that the reason why they are putting the blame and pointing the finger at Moses and Moses is telling you, don't do that. You're putting the blame, you're, you're testing, you're putting the Lord to the test. Why is the, Moses saying this to us? Because it's the, the effect of it. Every time you reject God's word, you don't believe. It's because you don't believe it. You don't believe in his character. You don't believe that he can deliver. You don't believe that he's good. You don't believe that he is faithful and able. So the reason why they, they're complaining that they not have water and, and that it's better to go back to Egypt, the reason why they, they're saying Moses solved this problem because if you don't, we're going to die. Because at a deeper core, they, have, they were questioning God's truthfulness. This God who promised to lead them safely to the promised land. This God who showed them proofs after proofs already that He is Yahweh. He is the one. He is the one true God. And He is the Lord. He is the supplier. He's been giving this them things to them already. He's proved them already. And yet, in this evil, unbelieving heart, would keep on questioning God every time it is tested. Why? Because at the core, it doesn't really believe in God's truthfulness. It doesn't really believe. In verse 3, it tells us, but the people were thirsty and they kept on complaining. They completely disregarded, did not listen to Moses' warnings and teachings and correcting them. Hey, don't do that. You're testing, putting the Lord to the test. You're, you're saying to the Lord, you don't trust Him. You're saying to the Lord, He can't deliver. You're questioning who He is. And you're doing it because you're complaining. And that's another evidence, right? If you're a complainer every time you get tested, you should really go and really think in the level of this. I'm complaining because I don't think God is able. Reason why I'm, I'm complaining is because I don't think God, God who is good should give me this. I'm questioning His character. I'm questioning His goodness. Why is He giving me problems? That's why you're complaining. Because you think, I deserve better. I know better than God. And Moses, they, they kept on complaining. They were saying, Moses, did you bring us out of Egypt just to lead us, to let us and our families die? What, did they, what are they completely forgetting? They're completely forgetting the promise of God. They're completely forgetting that God has assured them, God has promised them, you are going to make it. You're going to save. You're going to be saved. You're going to rest in this promised land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to be prosperous there. They're completely forgetting this because they don't have any water to drink. They have a current day problem. And they can't imagine for the, uh, for the life of them how 
they're going to get out of it because they don't trust God. They don't really believe Him. So what did they do? For someone who doesn't really put faith in God, they're going to do things their own way. They're going to rebel and disobey. They're going to disregard God. And that's what unbelief looks like. That it doesn't matter if you had this initial declaration of faith. What matters is that if it is tested again and again, what, does, what, what, does, what comes out? Does it, it, what, is what comes out faithful obedience and trust to the Lord? Or is this? Complaining, rebelling, and disobedience. And what do they do? In verse 7, Moses called the name Masa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is He really here? Is God able to deliver? Maybe you're lying to us. Maybe God is lying to us. They didn't really believe and they kept on rebelling. Now let me add this. This is not a one-time thing. Meribah and Masa didn't just happen on this day. It's a lifetime thing. They did this again and again and again. Let me take you back from Exodus back to Hebrews now. Hebrews 3, 9 to, 11, 9 to 10. These are the people that for 40 years kept waking up day after day and still displayed the same unbelieving heart. Day after day, they had the opportunity to repent and turn to God. But they insisted, they persisted to not believe in the Lord. So the one picture again of unbelief, this type of unbelief, is that it, it persists, it continues, it insists on a stubborn path of sin. Even after receiving the grace of God day after day. And what does God tell you? And He says, because they have seen my works. They have seen the evidences and the signs and everything. And yet, they always go astray in their heart. They always drift away. They always go. They always turn away. They always rebel and disobey. What happens? God says, they're doing that because they don't really know my ways. Wait, wait, wait. How can, you, how can God say that? How can God say they never really knew Him? Have you heard those warnings before? Matthew 7, Jesus says that. You don't know me. Go away from me. There's warnings after warnings after warnings of God telling His followers, be careful of this kind of faith. Be careful to think that you're safe just because you're Israel, just because you've experienced the Exodus, just because you painted some uh, the lamb's blood. You think you're, you're safe. No, the assurance of our faith is not by, based on what you say, but based on who you're believing in. And who you're believing in is now saying these things. The result of a life that would consist, that would insist and persist of sinning in the face of God's grace, 
God considers it as not believing at all. It is an unbelieving, evil heart still. You could be in church, and you could have this heart, and you could listen, but here's the grace. This day is called today. Listen to this warning. You could repent still. Because the consequence of unbelief is so clear. Hebrews 3.11 tells us, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. In verse 19, he repeats that, so that we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Here's the example of great, lesser to greater. The lesser example of it is this, Israel, Exodus, and Moses. Moses is a messenger. The consequence of rejecting Moses was rejecting God. The consequences of complaining, grumbling in the time of Exodus in the desert was they could not enter the promised land. Here's the greater. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. No one else is greater than Jesus. If you reject Jesus, you won't be able to experience God's promised rest. Why? Because the only way we could experience and receive the gift of this promised left, rest, promised life, eternal life, is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The consequence of unbelief is serious, my dear friends. This warning is not just for unbelievers outside. It is for unbelievers in the church as well. But here's how the writer encouraged the Hebrew Christians. And here's how I'll encourage you today. In verse 13 and 14, he says, that's the consequences of uh, unbelief. You won't be able to enter the rest. But encourage one another day after day. The, the reality of it is this. You need encouragement? Are you discouraged? You think life is really bad and you need encouragement? You gain it from the church family. Don't stop meeting together. That's in Hebrews, right? Keep on meeting. Find ways. Keep on meeting. And find ways to encourage each other. Encourage each other day after day. In this community of faith, and if you feel you've depart, you're so far away from the Lord, you're, you're, sin, you're, you're doubting that God could still forgive you, go to the family of God. Get encouragement from His Word. And here's the, the thing. Are you living right now? Are you still drawing breath right now? Then this day is called today. And here's the grace of God for you. This, as long as it is called today, you can repent and turn to Him. You can believe in Him. You can stop your hate. You could stop and end your bitterness. You could say, I can forgive that person who hurt me. I can start loving the person I don't like. I can really obey God and listen. I can't blame it to circumstance, I can't blame it on his, on his personality. 
I'm going to start listening to God today. You have that chance today. You see, the author of Hebrews doesn't tell you you have tomorrow to think about it. Brothers and sisters, when God speaks to you, He says, as long as it is called today, you have the chance to listen. Tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us. Tomorrow, if, you tell you, if you're in the habit of saying, tomorrow I'll obey, tomorrow I'll do that, tomorrow when my, my, my matters are, are settled already, do you know that there's already a parable that warns us about that kind of faith? It is called still an evil, unbelieving faith. It's not genuine faith that keeps on saying, tomorrow I'll do that, tomorrow I'll do that. And if you don't repent from your excuses of doing it tomorrow or until your, the stars line up for you, then what you're showing right now is an insistent, persistent disobedience and rebellion to God. And I'm not here to assure you because uh, that, 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 that kind of faith honors God or pleases God or is seen by God as real and genuine because you have the negative example here. You have the, the example of Israel. And so, you, we are to encourage one another as long as it is called today. And today is as long as we're still alive today. You have the chance of grace. Don't waste it. Don't waste today. Repent from your sins. Stop whatever you're doing right now and turn to Him. Otherwise, here's the result. You will become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What does that mean? Every time you postpone and delay obedience to God, your heart hardens. It becomes more and more insistent, less willing to obey God. The, the, the scripture definition of that is like a slow drifting away to a point that you're so far away already. Right? It's going to be hardened. And why is, it, why is there deceitfulness there? Because you can justify anything. And that's deceiving yourself. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That you could justify whatever sin it is and call it good and right. You could say everything. Something, something happened right now and, and, and you could say now that this person who spoke the word of God, I don't want to listen to him because he's not worth, he's not someone that can be trusted. You could, you could say anything. Say, Dave, I don't like you, so I'm not going to listen to you, right? But here's the thing. If you, please don't reject the word of God. If you don't like me, it's fine. I love you, okay? But then, if you reject the word of God, you reject it at your own peril. Don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As long as it's called today, you have this chance of grace from Him. How can we encourage one another? In GCAF, we've been trained, no? Now, if someone comes to us and says, you know what, I'm really discouraged. I don't think, I'm, I'm questioning my salvation. We've, we've been trained and we've been taught to, to explain it in this way. Did you pray a prayer of receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior before? Right? And when the person would say, yeah, I did when I was in Sunday school. 
or maybe a few weeks ago. I did. And what, what do we do? Well, we give them the assurance. Well, if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you prayed to Him, then you're saved. We give Him assurance right away, right? But wait, listen, listen. Why is the person doubting his salvation? Is it because the person is saying, you know what, uh, you know, I'm right now living in sin. I'm, I'm, I'm in depression. I'm totally far away from the Lord. I haven't, been I haven't been going to church. I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been really uh, loving God the way I ought to be. I don't really love Him at all. I'm really questioning my salvation. Dear friends, it's not our place to give the assurance to Him by saying, did you pray a prayer before? Asking Him as your Lord and Savior? Please know, encourage this believer by affirming his doubt, saying, you know what? The Lord might be speaking to you right now. You know what? Here's how the assurance was given by this author, preacher of ours. In verse 14, it says, here's how I'm going to encourage you, discourage Christians. <laughs> Here's how I'm going to encourage you, brethren. We have become partakers of Christ. For we have become partakers of Christ. This is a done condition. He's saying, if we are part of the family of God, you are a born-again Christian, a regenerated Christian, a sanctified Christian. You are part of His household. And He adds a condition. He adds a proof of this state this is this completed state we have become partakers of christ is a done deal it's something that happened to you already but I, I, it's like i'm saying filipino ka okay you're 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 a filipino and then i'm gonna qualify it by this if you have eaten with your hands you're a filipino if you, you've you've done boodle fight you're a Filipino if uh, you turn around, if, peep, if someone starts to sit-sit uh, you, uh, pst, pst, right? And, and you're a Filipino if someone asks for direction and you point at them with your snout. There, there. Okay? So doing all those things didn't make you a Filipino. You, were a Filipi you are a Filipino. That's why you do those things. And that's the thing. He's encouraging them by reminding them of this reality. For those who are in the family of Christ, the proof of that is that you will persevere until the end. You will hold on and keep on believing in the one true faithful God no matter what. Remember, what was his, the audience their, their circumstance, they were in danger. Their lives were in danger. They were threatened just by being Christians. That their, their source of livelihood was in danger just because they were Christians. They were thinking, should I stop? Should I give up? Should I end this already? And he's saying to them, and I believe this is a pastor with a broken heart because he knew these people. These people have, you know, some of them have already left and given up. He's saying to the ones that, have, that are left behind, this remnant, he's saying to them, you are part of the household of God if you keep on believing until the end. 
a faith that would keep on believing until the end, no matter what, is the proof of us being saved by grace through faith, not by works, and being held by the power of God. Now, see, the, I missed this earlier this morning, but I want really to make sure to say this to you now, that Hebrews 13, 21, an advanced peak at this point, that the strength of us to persevere to the end is not our own, but God's, that the faith that we need it's not, I, wanna, I just need more faith. No, the faith that you need to persevere until the end, no matter what, is already given and supplied to you by God through grace. Hebrews 13, 21. Now the God of peace will equip, equip you in every good thing to do His will. It is God who will equip you with everything you need to do His will, to last until the end, to hold on. It is God who equips you he is the God who is working in you, that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is God equipping you and working in you that will guarantee, guarantee that you will hold on to the end. That's why the encouragement for, for anyone here who is a brother and sister is this, we will show that we are really a part of God's household, part of the ecclesia. If no matter how, what, or what we go through, our faith is in Him still. We love Him. We treasure Him. We think He is the source of life. He is the only source of joy. That's how we should encourage each other. Don't give out false assurance. Don't point to something they, they, they did or have their reputation in the past. Don't, don't point out to what they did. Oh, this guy accomplished so many things. That's why he's a true brother and sister. No. Look at his ongoing fruit on today. Because a true Household of God persists to the very end. They're not, they're not just known by their past reputation. They're not known by their past declaration of faith. They're not known by their initial activity of goodness and, 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 and love. No, they're known from day one until the end. True assurance is not gained by dismissing the warnings and conditions of God. You don't gain true assurance that way. You don't, hide, you don't gain true assurance by hiding the, the things that you don't like about God's Word under a rug. True assurance is gained only by God's enabling power to give you the persevering faith until the end. Guaranteed, guys. The reason why we're still here, grace, and it's enabling power. If you're listening right now and you can really relate to Israel, grace at work is that today, it is called today. You have a chance to learn from Israel. You have a chance to listen 
to God's Word and turn to Him. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, thank you so much that you are God who is greater than the greatest. You are the one reason we could remain faithful even how faithless we have been in the past. You are the reason why every morning is a fresh new day of opportunity to turn from our sins and to turn back to you. You are the reason why life is good. You are the reason why we have what we have right now and, and this all the shadows of pleasures of joy is around us. I pray, O oh Lord, that like your people before that were encouraged, they would learn to be anchored in your truth first. They would learn to look on you and you alone first. They would learn to be able to hold on to your promises and assurance. They would learn to combat the tendency of how unbelief can creep in in any of us. And we would learn to dissect this right away, to fight with a good fight of faith against an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart so that this will not be present in any of us. I pray that we would be a people overflowing with your love, that we would keep and find ways to encourage each other rather than attack each other. I pray that we would be humbled, not because not grow proud of what we know and, and how, how we, what we accomplish, but we would be a humble people, a broken, contrite heart. Having a bro broken, contrite heart, having this lowly of spirit so that we would be the people, Lord, that would boast on your strength in our weakness. We would be a people that would love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We would be a people that would follow hard after you. praying, Lord, for those who are sick and battling for their lives, for their recovery. Heal them, O oh Lord. I pray for those who are struggling financially and, and thinking that they have no water to drink or food to eat or clothes to wear. Point them to your promises and your word, O oh Lord. I pray that you will strengthen faltering faith and hearts reminding us again and again how good and faithful you are. In Jesus' name.